0: Welcome back. Uh, we're here today to mostly to talk about George's amazing race at the London Marathon. We are going to debrief all the ins and outs of his uh, week in London before the race and what it felt like to finally get to run a big city marathon again, take you through that uh, mile by mile and a little bit of the aftermath, and then do a little bit about uh, what we saw in Berlin, what we saw also in London from the elites, and just spend a brief moment talking about the Women's Day in Kona. Uh, which was actually yesterday. So thanks for being with us.
1: The most pleasant exhaustion podcast is brought to you by blue pineapple travel, blue pineapple travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days. And the agents at blue pineapple travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out their conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents of Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL Coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They're invested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itocoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayerX. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRX. SlayRX has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite spark plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips of Porta Johns. It's a pop electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite Slayer-X Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at slayerx.com or with in-person testing like patrick and i did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114 hydrate is the fuel that i used during the blue ridge relay this year and i recommend it for all of you as well slayerx products are 100 percent natural come in great flavors are vegan friendly and the hydrate light is keto friendly they've all been well researched and developed by a uga food scientist who's also an iron man athlete The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I am a college professor.
0: My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom of three girls, and I am a CPA.
1: My name is Eric Hall.
2: I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three college students and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa.
1: Very good. Glad to be back with y'all. Post World Marathon record, post London Marathon, uh, all sorts of great things going on. Post all of us having now signed up for the Mountain Mist 50K.
2: Post (laughs) Michelle returning six pairs of shoes because none of them worked. Yeah. yeah. I'm still in search of a good off road shoe for Mountain Mist. So,
1: and something else. And post the, the, uh, every morning is now under 60 degrees here. It's lovely. Don't you think there, Michelle?
0: I mean, life is pretty good. (laughs) I, I can't come, I mean, I can complain about the struggle in finding a trail shoe that's just more technical. Cause I've got kind of a lighter weight one and you know, another one that I like. Um, but yeah, I'm really struggling with that. So I did return six pair of shoes. That's very sad. I'm sure when you order six pair of shoes running warehouse really hopes you're going to keep at least one, <laughs> uh, but you know, <laughs> it's a little is that, bit sad. Um, it's, it's really sad for Is that for me six,
2: because... real quick, is that six pair of shoes or is that six pairs of shoes? Either one. Either, either one. It doesn't okay. matter.
0: You could say mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Is it I mean, either it's, or it's either? technically three. <laughs> well, maybe it's only three because each pair I ordered in a nine and a nine and a half. So it's very complicated. You'd have to.
1: Oh, six pairs of shoes. It's just that each model of shoe came in two different sizes. That's no, <laughs> I, I have never gotten a better text from you than the text with the gigantic box filled with six different pairs of shoes in it um, that, that that you sent to our text right a couple of days ago. Uh, I believe my response was, Michelle, you're my hero. Um, I don't know exactly how I feel now that you say that that you returned every single one of them. I don't know how that makes me feel. I mean,
0: every single, if I can't walk around my house in it, there's no way I can go out on the trail for a few hours in it. So So
2: here's a, here's a question though. Don't shoes have a break-in period, specifically trail shoes, which usually have a more um, stiff shank and whatnot to them. Isn't there some break-in period to a pair of shoes? Yeah,
0: I would agree with that. But I think there's a few things I know right away that a shoe is going to I mean, my biggest problem with a shoe is I always would say like, it just burns my feet. I don't, I don't know a really good way to explain it, but um, so I, a pair of Solomons that I ordered were too narrow in the arch and the arch support was too high. I wear a custom orthotic. I do have an arch in my foot, but it's more of a flatter arch. So any shoe that has a really, you know, too much support under the arch doesn't work for me. Um, the Adidas shoes were just I mean, they felt like a brick, which is what one of the reviews, many of the reviews said actually, but Eric, you made me feel a little bit bad that I uh, wasn't going to try it because of that. So I ordered them anyway. And sure enough, they felt like bricks. (laughs) Yeah. And then I got that uh, carbon plated Hoka trail shoe, a brand new one. I've never worn a Hoka. I I did briefly wear a Clayton. Um, They don't make that one anymore. And I did like it, but it's just, I don't know, guys, I don't want to wear a Hoka, And it really just didn't feel good. It felt just too narrow. Um, So I think after the comment you made. What?
2: I think after the comments you made regarding uh, only 60 year olds who (laughs) basically (laughs) shuffle when they quote unquote run uh, kind of dictated that you should never wear a hoka because you are going to get nothing but grief. (laughs) So I made a list of... uh,
0: I was, I was going through like a list of just trying to clear my head yesterday. So I wrote down, I don't know, probably 40 something things that I'm worried about or concerned about right now, or that I just need to accomplish, um, like personal work, running my kids, everything. And one of them was like, I really don't want to wear hocus. Um, okay. so I slept on it and then i kept them on my feet all morning this morning. And I was working for a few hours. Um, and they just weren't comfortable. I got up and got coffee, came back. Like they're just, it just didn't.
1: So, uh, so to answer Eric's question, I think that there are, and I think this is, Michelle, what you're saying. I think that there are particular things you can tell about a shoe that could potentially be disqualifying just by wearing them around your house. Um, right, but- I mean, there, there, there is potentially a break in period for some shoes. Um, but I've read on several different occasions, um, that modern day foams actually don't require a breakdown yeah. period often. I mean, um, I think Eric so, has- so, so not ne- it's not necessary. The other thing too, is that Patrick, a few years ago on this podcast, talked about some research that showed that, that a pretty simple and straightforward way of determining what the right pair of shoes for you is the ones that are most comfortable.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And and that was an actual research study uh, that demonstrated that that if you set aside all sorts of other things around uh, drop and build and last and and type of foam and some like of that and you just take it down to the most basic level, what is most comfortable, that more often than not tends to be the right pair of shoes for you. So
2: my so. Crocs are pretty comfortable.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm not going to go running them. <laughs> So, no, that, that, and that's an extreme example. No, what I would say is on several occasions, I have had a runner in my household who shall uh, remain nameless, tell me these shoes hurt my feet. And I say to that person, wear them for a week, don't run in them, and then try again. And it's not about the foam. It's actually about the upper. And it's about it, well it is a little bit about the foam it's it's the insole and the upper because i believe there is a break in period to your insole and your upper so that it fits your feet correctly now what michelle's describing is that's not break in the the arch is not going to break in right so i agree with what michelle's saying but i do feel like the upper will conform to your foot you will figure out the lacing a lot of times the initial lacing on a shoe and i'm not saying you would just like how it goes through the holes but the actual lacing after you've been running in a shoe for a month is different than that sure. first day you put it on and it makes sure. it more comfortable. So like comfortable, I think is a tough thing to say right out of the box.
0: I will say Butch. that all the research aside, it is really frustrating to me because I feel like, I mean, the three of us align on, on a few pair of really solid shoes and we wear them and we wear them for similar stuff and we love them. But if I know that like somebody likes a certain shoe and it feels good on their foot. And I know that it feels good on my foot. Then in my mind, it's like, Oh, well, if they also wear this, then I should be able to wear that. And it never works out like that for me. Yeah. Um, but not to make this a whole podcast about shoes. Cause I mean, we don't really talk about shoes enough as it is, but <laughs> the uppers on the Solomon Pulsar trail and the, uh, Hoka Tecton X, whatever it's called were unbelievable. I actually, I was like petting them. They were the, I mean, they were just unbelievable uppers for a trail shoe. It's like, you could tell that they were, they were seamless. They were, the water would just go in and go out. Like they would drain really quickly. I mean, it was, they just, the uppers felt amazing on both shoes. So, I mean, kudos to those companies because that is a big, a big sticking point, but they were, they were clearly, I mean, they were both carbon plated trail shoes. So they were made as more of a racing shoe, so to speak. Um, I don't really know what that means on trails when you're climbing all the time, but you know, (laughs) just makes you feel fast, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the uppers were pretty awesome. it's not the climbing (laughs) it's
2: it's not the climbing. It's the descending with those carbon, uh, plates. And and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute when you ask us to go around the horn, George, but I I do want to say one thing, (laughs) and I don't want to detract at all from This is great information, Michelle, and it's a really good assessment. And I'm, I mean, it's, it sounds excessive and silly, but when you're looking for that new off-road shoe, I had this conversation with Melissa about why is it so hard to find an off-road shoe where, you know, you might have four or five road shoes that you can wear. And I said, it's the use case, your foot's going to be off center. Your foot's going to swell more. You're going to be going up and down. You're going to have to take different steps. So that shoe has to fit so many more of those micro use cases of running yeah. than just a, what a road shoe, which is kind of just go straight, go up, go down, you know. And so a road shoe can be much less specific to you than an off-road shoe needs to be. But yeah. I, So that was really good. But I, I do want to make a very good point. And I think George will agree with this. Um, I've never petted a shoe not once
0: <laughs> well next I've never time paid you paid go to you the either. store you should really feel these uppers they have them at rei i think it's really they they're just anyway
1: i've never had better stuff up,
0: to like. talk about
1: <laughs> no, definitely not eric what's going on with you man
2: so i'm putting in some miles i um, been feeling pretty good and i've had some extra time and well because i'm getting up way early in the morning. I'm putting in these like five, five fifteen, five twenty a.m. runs. And um I've I've actually put in, you know, to today, you know, Friday in the third week, I'm somewhere around a, a hundred and let's see, what is the number there? 65, 70 miles in three weeks. So two, two weeks and then up to Friday. And I don't feel like I've run that far. And I, I credit it to two things. And the first thing is I'm, I'm definitely backing it down because I'm preparing for a 24 hour race. So I don't need to go out at 720, 730 pace. Um, so I've, I've backed it down. I'm trying to get that zone one zone two heart rate, um, adaptation going, but I also credit it to, I've been wearing my plated shoes a whole lot more. Mm. And I think the the shock absorption of the new foams matched with that carbon or um, call it plastic plate. It makes a difference. It, it makes a difference. Every week I do two runs and non-plated shoes. I'm pretty much rotating. I was going to say this from the guy who's shoes. always talking
1: about how you shouldn't do every run in a plated shoe. Right.
2: No, no. I, I'm rotating through five pairs of shoes. So I'm wearing three different plated shoes and then actually two different unplated shoes. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's been amazing how I haven't really felt beat up the first time I felt beat up was this morning. And I chose to go for a ride this morning because yesterday I rode, I I ran, sorry, I ran a 10 mile run in my Boston nines. And I I forgot that those were the shoes I left at work and they actually have 350 miles on them.
0: (laughs) Also like nobody wears Boston nines anymore.
2: (laughs) because nobody has boston nines anymore because they stopped making them and they screwed the shoe up they with the screwed boston it up 10.
0: bad <laughs> so was... i still have two pair <laughs> wow unused
2: no i have one that has a few maybe 40 miles on it and i have the other pair that's got 330 340 miles on it but i need to i need to toss out the old pair and replace them with the new pair but my yeah. point was i went i went for a 10 mile run on a pair of non-plated shoes and i felt like i went on a 10 mile run whereas i'd been doing you know 14 16 mile runs and a pair of plated shoes and the next day feeling like hey i can go for another run so it was it was kind of interesting
1: yeah you know when it comes to plated shoes and the so-called super shoe revolution um a lot of people have looked at and talked about the actual efficiency boost you get during the race itself
0: mm-hmm. but
1: a more subtle uh impact of so-called super shoes is the ability or, or, or the enabling of athletes to train at a higher level, to do more workouts and more intensity and more marathon-specific um, uh, training uh, and recover more quickly because they're using super shoes. And so it's almost like, like performance-enhancing drugs, really. Um, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, they, they certainly give you a boost during the race itself. But but really the way that they affect an athlete is they help an athlete recover from hard training sessions such that they can do more hard training sessions. Right. Um, and so. So, yeah, the they're sort of twofold to, to super shoes. One is actually the race themselves. And the other one is the way that they benefit your training for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But
2: instead of repairing you quick more quickly, they're preventing you from tearing down. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. But yeah. so, I'm you know, it's a very informal experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far I've noticed it. So, cause I haven't run, you know, 60 plus mile weeks for a really long time. And I said, you know what, I'm going to see how this feels. And I went out and did it. And then I did it again and I'm, I'm doing it again this week. So Very yeah, good. we'll Very see. Good. But Very I am good. taking that to heart. Of don't run in the plated shoes all the time because it will force your biomechanics mm-hmm. into certain uh, ranges of motion or
1: mm-hmm.
2: And, and I don't, I don't want to create an ankle, knee, hip issue from my shoes. So mm-hmm. I think the jury's still out on that one, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Very
1: good, very good, very um, good. How y'all doing on the uh, the book of the quarter? How she I'm did it? Done. So. You know, here we are. I, I realized that we're now into Q4. You know, we're recording this on Friday, October 7th. And uh, I read a lot of it while I was on the plane to and from London um, and enjoyed it. It's actually a fairly straightforward read. Um, but, uh, but we're going to review that sometime over the course of the next couple of weeks here. I had to give you an extension for the last one. And so clearly there's kind of an unspoken extension going on this one.
0: Excuse me. We're, <laughs> this is the first podcast of this quarter. Good point. We could have done the book review today, but we actually really do want to talk about your London marathon race last weekend, <laughs> uh, unbeknownst to anyone listening. The last twenty minutes, but that is the goal for today. <laughs> and third is, I don't need an extension this time. How about you, Eric? How's it going over there? I
2: need the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so, George, I can review the. Book I can be exactly. honest about this. You, you do need to purchase the book to read it.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little behind. <laughs> this this quarter all right all right so so we will be we will be reviewing it either uh sometime over the course of the next couple of weeks so either the 14th or the 21st if you haven't read it go ahead and read it uh that includes you eric um i don't know if eric will like it um what'd you say
0: i don't know if eric will like it like i feel I, bad I think it's
1: good i have enjoyed it
0: yeah well um, it's easy it's easy to read because it's mm-hmm. just all these different stories um, yeah but yeah. I will say we had that brief conversation. You know whether you can listen to it on audio because it's it's so many different people's stories, mm-hmm. and I think it would have been a really bad idea. I've only read it. I didn't even use the Audible credit for it. I don't even know if it's on Audible. Yeah. But I'm happy I, that I-,
1: I, I. haven't either. Um, yeah. I I've, I've simply been reading it, and it's but it's interesting to read. It's fun to read. Um, I I I like just sort of reading the stories and hearing the stories, and 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 um and. Uh, digesting what it is that, that these women have talked about inside of their experience. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of takeaways, I think from looking at the life of pro runners, not only historically like comparing Shalane Flanagan's mom's experience to Shalane Flanagan's experience. I mean, that's fascinating and interesting. And you see the way that the landscape of women's running has changed over the course of the past 50 years. And that's cool and interesting and valuable. Um, but also just, Seeing that, that pros experience a lot of the same hurdles and obstacles that we do, I think that's actually really uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Meb Kafleski's one of Meb Kofleski's books called uh, 26 Marathons. Um, one of my big takeaways from his book, uh, 26 Marathons, is that despite the fact that he was super successful and had a pretty lengthy career, dude was like constantly battling some sort of injury issue. Um, and I actually found that very comforting, um, to know that, that here's somebody that has been so successful, um, that has been so influential inside of the world of American distance running. And yet he's struggled with a lot of thing things that we do, um, from the outside, he appears so charmed and so lucky. Um, and in fact, he's, he's bogged down and mired in all the same problems that the rest of us are. I think that's inspiring. Sure. Yeah. Um, Great. yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely talk about that sometime over the course of the next couple of weeks here. So, what are we going to talk about first today? We got the Berlin Marathon, where you had the third fastest women's time and the fastest ever men's time run. Um, we had the London Marathon, where you had uh, the youngest women's winner ever of the London Marathon to actually win, who I met in the airport after the race. Um, you had my race there at London, and then you had day one of Kona that also took place just yesterday. Um,
0: George, um, I think we can start first with how you made the decision to buy the pullover you're wearing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am currently wearing a gray and black New Balance pullover that is branded with the TCS London Marathon logo which is a very subtle logo or at least it's really big on the TCS and very small on the London um which is something that I and several other people complained about while we were actually there but uh <laughs> but but yes it was one of several things it's a good thing that I had a good race in London because it definitely made me feel justified in not only all the thought I put into the various things that I was going to buy or that I did buy at the uh, the, the expo, um, but, but the actual purchases themselves. I bought a t-shirt, a running shirt, a pullover, a pair of socks, and I want to say one other thing too. Um, did you uh, buy a hat? So I didn't buy a hat. The hats were a little bit kind of run-of-the-mill.
0: Did you um, buy the hoodie just
1: the so, could, couldn't find the, the, the hoodies that, that I considered were, were not, um, uh, were not in my size. Um, even though I went on Thursday, which was fairly early on in the expo process, um, it was going to be pretty jammed on Saturday. Plus there was a rail strike on Saturday. So it was gonna be hard to get to <laughs> on Saturday. Um, even though I went on Thursday, I, uh, I didn't find any of the hoodies in my size. And so I ended up not buying any of those, um, But yeah, I'm Um, a
0: big fan of your uh, gray pullover.
1: So thanks. Today is my first day of actually wearing my gray pullover. I went to see a friend of the podcast, Josh Glass today to do a little bit of work and recovery and that sort of thing. He, uh, of course, gave me an adjustment, which I was in pretty dire need of, as it turned out, um, and uh, uh, did some Graston on my sore calf, which we can talk about here in just a minute and taped it up some. Um, and, uh, and just in general, kind of caught up with him about how the race went and what's next for me and all that sort of thing. So, so I figured that was a good opportunity to wear my, my gray pullover for the first time.
0: So
2: we talked about the journey of you getting to this in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. So I would like to start off with, was it worth it? And then can you give us like the number one or number two things that made this actually worth it
1: to you? Hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that's actually a really good question. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's so incredible. So I had a good race. Um, uh, no shit, You had a good race. I had, I had a good race. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so for, for folks who are listening to the podcast, uh, who don't know, uh, I had a good race. Um, I, I met my goal, I actually PR'd, um, at age 48, um, which I'll take, um, I'm pretty happy about that. Um, uh, met my goal, pretty much ran, reached what I thought was my full potential on this particular day. Um, just in terms of the race. Um, I, I, I ran what I, what I thought I could run. I ran my a goal. Um, and so, so yeah, in light of that, all of the sacrifices and all of the time and all of the money and all of the effort and emotion and everything else feels so well spent. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and it just makes it that much more satisfying of course it does right when, when when you have a really good performance into which you poured so much emotion and and time and money and everything else actually having a good performance as a result of all those sorts of things it just feels so much more rewarding so yeah it was it was a brilliant cap it was like the perfect cap um not only to this really difficult um, and and um, really dedicated training block, but also to what turned out to be one of our greatest ever family trips. Um, my family had a, a really good week there, um, leading up to the race itself. And then sort of the cherry on top, the capper of the whole thing was the fact that I had a really good race. Um, so yeah, I can say unequivocally that it was definitely worth all the amount of time that I put into it. Now, had I, had I not run all that well, I, i might not be saying the same thing i might not be wearing the the pullover you know i really don't know Um, you
2: did but you did set it up correctly where the family portion was actually before the race Mm -hmm. you pretty much just turned around and came home so at least you would have been miserable to yourself and to them for the least amount of time
0: (laughs) yeah so that's right can you just lead us through that a bit because you went out about a week ahead of the race, right? And yeah
1: we flew point- out we flew out Sunday at about 5 pm, which meant we flew overnight and we arrived in London at about 7 a.m on Monday morning. and the race of course was the following Sunday. And so then that meant that we had to spend Monday trying to get over the jet lag and the the all that stuff from the race or from the flight. Um, it took me probably until Thursday to actually get over the jet lag, Um, which in itself was, was an interesting lesson for me, just as I look for future marathons that are far away. Um, You know, I have Berlin and Tokyo currently on the calendar. And so, so thinking about how long it took me to actually recover from the trip over there. um, I think that's, that's important information for me to have. Um, And so, so yeah. Um, Then On Tuesday, we went to Stonehenge and to Bath, um, and we had like beautiful weather for those, and my sons really enjoyed that. On Monday, we went to the Tower of London, um, which my sons were totally into that and just really had a good time with that. Um, um, On Wednesday, um, we went to a couple of different museums. We went to the Natural History Museum. We went to the British Museum on Monday, since that was right next to our hotel. Um, And we went to the Science Museum. On Thursday is when I kind of started backing it down a little bit. Um, My family went over to the Roe Dahl house, um, to the Roe Dahl museum, the guy who wrote uh, James and the Giant Peach. Um, And I just kind of, I went to the expo and kind of hung out around the hotel and that sort of thing. Um, And then I kind of kept it reined in. Um, Saturday, we went and saw a matinee show. We saw two other shows that week. We saw the Lion King. We saw Mary Poppins. We saw Mama Mia all on the West End, which was close to where we were staying. Um... Yeah, just all in all, it was just a fantastic family trip. My my sons, my eight year old, had a ball. Um, How many teas did you go to? So uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, so they actually, take to everyone's back, expectations. They, well, they they went. They had three on the calendar, um, and so they they went to and we they went to two. We went to a dinosaur themed high tea, which was great. Um, even though that was before the race. And so I had to kind of be careful of what I ate and I was cautious about what I ate because I was still watching things pretty closely at that point. Um, they were supposed to have a Peppa pig tea on a double decker bus. Um, and that fell through because they changed the starting place of the tea and didn't alert my wife in time. And so my, my wife and my sons literally missed the bus. Oh, no. um, uh, yeah, that was a real bummer. That was the only low point of the trip. Um, and then the last one was a Charlie and the chocolate factory themed tea um, that we did the afternoon after the race. Um, and so at three o'clock in the afternoon, after I'd finished the race, I put on my race t-shirt and, and a jacket and I go, we go really down close to the finish line. Um, and, and we have a Charlie and chocolate factory high tea. So felt like a, a, a really fitting, way to celebrate a good London marathon was a Charlie and the chocolate factory high tea. (laughs) did you gorge yourself? So probably more than I should have. Yeah. It was kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, and after literally more than a month of, of not eating added sugar, because you know, added sugar is, is one of the big things that you avoid with the, with the paleo diet. I went and ate all the added sugar. I probably ate on marathon day between the gels that I took, Um, and the sports nutrition I took during the race itself. Um, and then the high tea that I had later on, I probably had more added sugar on that day than I had in the previous 12 weeks combined or previous six weeks combined.
0: (laughs) So can we back up a little bit and talk, you told us, we talked a little bit last time about how you kind of went to this quasi paleo high protein diet. Mm -hmm. So you had a whole week overseas before the race. Were you able to like keep that dialed in leading into the race weekend? And if so, um,
1: Pretty well. And then um, how did you
0: reincorporate or did you reincorporate like carbs as it got closer to race day?
1: So I, I, I was able to actually maintain it fairly well. I continued to track using the app that I had been using, um, and continued to look at the macros and that sort of thing. Um, I quit tracking it on, actually I stopped tracking it at the dinosaur high tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like I was like this is going to be a little bit too much and so so I just kind of quit tracking at that point um and and just kind of put it away um but still that was even then so I deviated some then that was on Thursday, actually, um, but then kind of keeping in mind the macros and keeping in mind that that I had more carbohydrates at, at that particular tea, and I I ordered the the gluten free one by the way, which means that they they made everything with almond flour rather than with grain, and so it actually was more paleo friendly than it would have been otherwise. Um, but like that night for dinner, I had a steak um, in order to try and kind of balance those macros back out again, um, since I had had so many more carbohydrates at lunch, which was the high tea. Right. Um, and so I did a pretty good job of still eating eggs and eating meat, um, and things like that. Um, I had a few more carbohydrates over the course of the 48 to to 60 hours before the race. Um, a couple of them were in non-paleo form, like in rice, um, and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I just kind of continued to maintain it as I had up to that point, um, through the night before the race. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as the race was done, I, I, I let it go. And then this week I've been eating like a complete maniac, um, <laughs> like almost to a disgusting degree. Um, that, it didn't that...
2: run an
1: ultra just a reminder <laughs> there, yeah. no,
2: and I, but that's a good point. Can you, can you provide most of our audience? I feel that they're runners and they get this and they heard your, your, comments about this before the race but can you provide a maybe a little disclaimer to this diet this pre-race diet
0: i yeah. think he's asking I mean, this for me by the way
2: so so well what can no, of disclaimer i'm asking this for? i'm asking this because of the questions you asked because they're good questions mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. i mean
0: but george wasn't on those texts eric that was just you and i
1: yeah i was going to say i don't know which kind of disclaimer you're looking for <laughs> Well, so you mentioned that
2: this was not sustainable. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And and why did you do this? You know, Um, I've jokingly said, you know, getting food poisoning is not a good way to
1: get to race weight. So (laughs) I'm asking you to. So, so, so there's, there's the two questions there. Why is it not sustainable for me personally? And why is it something that I decided to try? So I'll say the first one, the, the second question first. Why is it something that I've decided to try? Um, because over the course of the last couple of years, I've just lost the handle on my body composition that, that between pandemic and stress and not going to the gym as much and lifting as much weights and all that sort of thing. I've just, my, my body composition has changed. Um, and so I needed to, to address that in a fairly, fairly aggressive, aggressive, way. Um, and, and, and as I looked into different ways of, of addressing body composition, this was one thing that I continually came across. And so I said, okay, let me try it. Um, and, and I was, I was, there are certain things I would not be convinced of, um, as I was looking for this, like, I I think keto is a terrible idea. Like the idea of cutting out all carbohydrates from your diet, I don't think is a good plan for an endurance athlete, but, but as I read and researched, I found writing, um, and podcasts from people I respected, people like Joe Friel, um, who who said that this is a worthwhile way of going about changing your body composition and still fueling for uh, races up to the marathon distance. Um, and so, so I, I decided to give it a try. Um, like I said, it worked better than I thought it would. And I'm still wondering what it is about it that it worked because it it cut out legumes like beans and peanuts it cut out added sugar it cut it out grains it cut out processed food it cut out dairy um like it cut out a cut out oats um a wide variety of things it cut out um and i'm just wondering which one of those things was it that actually made the difference if not all of them right like um was it because I ate less dairy or was it the added sugar thing or like what, what is it that actually made it such an effective means of me leaning up prior to this race? And I don't totally know the answer to that question. Um, um I also, and I, I, realized I didn't say this beforehand. I also started doing a lot more bodyweight exercise with about eight weeks out. Um, I was doing about 15, uh, 10 to 15 minutes worth of bodyweight exercise virtually every day. Um, Uh, and I think that probably helped too, um, in terms of body composition. Um, so I was watching what I ate and I was feeling differently, but I was also doing more strength work on, on a near daily basis. Um, and I think that probably helped with the body composition as well. Um, I was logging them in my training peaks and I was referring to them as GMBB workouts, get my body back workouts. Um, and I did something like 40 of them in the eight weeks leading up to, to, to the race. I'm telling you, this is a major focus of mine, um, was trying to, to regain the body composition that I had pre-pandemic. Um, I thought that was a real impediment to my performing at my full potential. Um, is it all gone now? Uh, (laughs)
0: <laughs> Five days it later. is
1: I am definitely not as lean as I was last Friday <laughs> um, so because because, more, because all those things that I just listed that I haven't had or that I didn't have you've um, had them all before. I've had them all this week in spades now and and that would be true regardless I mean post marathon sure. you've heard me say so many times on this podcast before you have to recover in every way. Yeah. Um and, and this is a part of the way that I recover post-marathon is that that I go ahead and indulge myself in in lots of eating and drinking that that I deny to myself and, and for, for most of the year otherwise. Um and so this is part of the recovery process for me. I'll pull it back together after in, in, in the next couple of days here. Um but um but yeah. And so then the other question is is why is it not sustainable? Um the reason why it's not sustainable is because it's so far afield from what I normally eat. Um, not only because it's what I eat because it's what I like, um, but also just what I eat with what I'm comfortable eating ethically. Um, I, I have had since Sunday, since I ran the race on Sunday and the five days since then I've probably eaten meat six times. I probably had six servings of meat over the course of the past five days. I was eating like five or six servings of meat every single day. (laughs) Um, And I just, I just don't normally eat that much meat. I don't normally eat that many animal products Uh, and I'm not comfortable eating that much animal products. And I don't like eating that much animal products. I like eating dried fruit and, and things like that. Um, And I just wasn't eating as much of that sort of thing. Um, One of my big takeaways, by the way, from this whole eating experiment was that I could, if I wanted to, I could convert myself or I could commit myself entirely to the paleo lifestyle, to the paleo diet and still get probably 80. I would still end up getting like 80% of my calories from carbohydrates just because that's how I eat. And that's what I like. Um, I would eat a bunch of dates. I would eat a bunch of almonds. I would eat a bunch of, of apples. I would eat. Yeah. I mean, I, I would still end up eating mostly carbohydrates just because that's what I enjoy eating. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that. That's why it's not sustainable. Um, when I do <laughs> in, in the next few days here, rein it in a little bit and 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 stop eating like an asshole. Um, I'll uh, I'll 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 probably
0: <laughs> what um, goes first? What will you cut out first?
1: Um, more of the processed stuff. Like I've had cereal every day for breakfast this week, um, and so- I'll go I'll go back to not having cereal for breakfast. You know, um, I had I I I'll eat, drink less alcohol. I had two beers last night. I had a beer today at lunch. Um, like uh, I saw that. <laughs> I mean, you know,
0: um, oh, and you posted on Twitter.
1: <laughs> so I did. Um, I did not so, see it
2: on Twitter because yeah, I didn't I post my meal on Twitter. Twitter. I
1: posted on Twitter that I was uh, in the restaurant where I was, that there was a, a car show that was showing some people driving at Atlanta motor Speedway, And I said that it's always sort of fun reminder that when I see Atlanta motor speedway, they actually ran a marathon there in 2021. Um, but, but yeah, but, so I'll go back to eating sort of what I've eaten before. That's mostly healthy. And then when I start getting ready, you know, post new year, basically, um, if my body composition is, is not where I want it to be, I'll probably do this again. Um, you know, uh, I think this is something that I can do in small bits in the final buildup towards races over the course of the next short while here. That's kind of the plan and we'll see how that works you know?
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. You
1: were afraid, Michelle, that I was going to bonk, right?
0: Oh, well, first of all, I should probably, I think I said in the last podcast that it sounded stupid. So I should probably <laughs> apologize publicly because it clearly worked for you. <laughs> um, and I've thought a lot about it just about every minute since you finished, uh, since you ran a 235 marathon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, oh, I said that to Casey. Yeah, because we were trying to I only made one i just it was more like yes you have time to get to this mile gosh i hope he doesn't bonk because your splits were so you were coming in at like 556 555 556 and then I think one time we pulled a 557 and I said to Eric, uh-oh, he slowed down. And Eric goes, one second. <laughs> like, well, it was three miles in a
2: row. It was, it was 555, 556, 557. And you're like drawing a line through. Those are three points. <laughs> but, I was but like, not,
0: well, I, I saw the, so the 557. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and Eric was like, this is not bonking.
1: Yeah. Anyways. No, I, I, I. I was never concerned about that. I figured that that if if bonking was going to be an actual issue, that 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 would manifest itself in some of my longer training days, particularly that last Wednesday I had where I did an hour and a half bike workout. And then an hour later, I did river. essentially an hour and a half marathon specific training run. Um, I, I think that would have become an issue then. And it wasn't. And so, so I wasn't yeah. worried about that. I was worried. The one thing I was worried about when things were going well in the race, the one thing that was kind of lurking in my mind a little bit, um, was that my glute, um, basically when we got off the plane, um, my, my right glute, which I've had problems with for 25 years kind of felt inactive. It kind of had shut down. Um, and, and I've had that feeling that sometimes you get where like you need to be adjusted Um, you need to go to the chiropractor. I was like, this glute is not working and my hip flexor kind of feels off and my, my hamstring feels overworked. And then the next day on Tuesday morning, I got up and I had this really, really sore spot in my right calf, which I think somehow my calf was overcompensating for my inactive glute and things like that. And so that was the thing that I was actually really concerned about. It never bothered me while I was running throughout the week while I was in London, but I was worried that around mile 15 or mile 16, that suddenly that glute was going to shut down. My hamstring was going to go overworked, It was going to cramp. And I was going to fall apart as a result of that. That's what happened to me in the LA marathon in 2020. Um, and since that was kind of my last big city marathon, um, that was still very much in the front of my mind. And I was kind of concerned about it happening. Did you have any
2: precursors to that in LA? Um,
1: did you know that was coming? Yeah, I did. Um, Uh, I had seen, I had felt it in training, um, in several, several training sessions in the weeks leading up, I had felt like my, my hip flexor was a little bit too tight and my hamstring was getting overworked. And so, so yeah, that was not shocked when that happened in LA. Um, I was disappointed obviously, but I was not shocked. Um, and, but yeah, having, having that as my most recent, like big city marathon two years ago that was still in my head. Um, and I was worried that that was going to become a problem, but it didn't, um, it didn't, I was, I was able to hold together and finish strong
0: before we talk about mile 15 and 16. Can you like take us through race day a little bit, Mm -hmm. talk about
1: yeah get yeah. lost
0: at the start you know <laughs> <laughs> let's start from the beginning
1: going to the wrong starting corral <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know exactly what happened I think at that yeah. point I'd fallen back asleep for a few minutes
1: but <laughs> Michelle like, I good. I have to I have to give you credit Michelle um and Eric too I, I consider both of you my good friends um but Michelle it's funny I, I I forget sometimes that you and I are good friends and then and then you wake up on a day that I'm doing a race and you are as nervous and excited about my racing <laughs> as I am. It was and, so and, ridiculous. And, and, I, and I want to tell you, actually, it's, it's ridiculous on one hand, but it actually really kind of means a lot to me. Um, and so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, I was- the, the, the activity on the Blue Ridge Relay text thread of like uh brett being up early and tracking me and updating all of them like that that seeing all of that when i get done with the race it actually means a lot to me like i I, i'm i'm extremely sappy and very emotional um and and i think both of y'all know that about me and so so um yeah it was kind of silly that literally at six o'clock in the morning london time I got a text from you (laughs) that you were (laughs) awake and ready to start tracking my race. That's a little bit ridiculous, but also it actually means a lot to me. And so I appreciate it. Um, But anyway, so, so yeah, I got up at six o'clock in the morning, um, ended up catching the first train um, to uh, Blackheath um, at seven o'clock, ended up being one of the first people on site, as it turns out. Um, had a little bit of tea in my room as I do you know, every morning and pretty much before every workout, before every race. Had a couple of hard-boiled eggs and had um some dates. That's what I had for breakfast, you know, three and a half hours before the race. Um, got to the site, used the bathroom, all that sort of thing. And then started looking around for the trailer where the lorry where I was supposed to drop off my bag. And I went to every single one of them that was in the blue wave starting area. And none of them were mine. And I was like, I might be in the wrong place here. Mm-hmm. And so ended up sort of leaving the blue wave starting area and found that there was this other starting area, this much smaller starting area where it said championship. And I went in there and sure enough, there was the lorry where I was supposed to drop my bag. And we had all of these, uh, these porta johns for ourselves. Um, and, and was it was a awesome. much, um, and it was a much more secluded space. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it was kind of cool. Uh, and so I sat there for just a little while and I was even able to even able to trot around a little bit and do a little bit of a warm up, which is something I, I don't normally get to do for, for marathons, mm-hmm. um, use the bathroom a second time. Um, and then my training partners, Lindsay and Caitlin, they were in the blue wave. And so we kind of started, we had talked about maybe saying hello to each other before the start. Cause we all thought we were going to be together, but then, because I ended up being in this separate start I called them on the phone and then we kind of saw each other from 80 yards away and like waved uh-huh. one another, <laughs> That's great, <laughs> which was actually kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then at about 920 or so, um, they uh, they kind of gather us up and led us through this little short shoot right up to the starting line. Um, the starting line, the starting area was sort of divided in two. Um, the pro women had already started. Um, they started 40 minutes before the pro men. Um, and you had all of us kind of jammed in on one side. And on the other side was the pro men finishing up their warmups. Um, and of course, among them was Kenanisa Bekele. Um, and I laid eyes on Kenanisa Bekele for the first time, which was that's pretty cool, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, as much as I talk that's about him cool. and his, his, as many times as I've watched his videos on YouTube and just everything else. And, and his picture is, is on the wall in my workout room. It's literally the picture that's in front of my treadmill. And so I've literally, I've looked into his eyes many, many, many times while doing uh, difficult and not so difficult training sessions um to actually lay eyes on the man himself was was pretty incredible um and then of course he would go on to finish fifth in the race he ran 205 he's 40 years old set a new world record for 40 year olds um in the process so uh he obviously had a pretty good race too um
0: so once the race started did you guys just kind of follow right behind the elite men yeah so the so, they, so, the they, so, they, so they took basically? they
1: took the elite men and they put them on the line and they introduced them with about three minutes ago they introduced all of them which was cool Um, And then they let us fill in behind them. And so I was about maybe four people back from there. There there was about a five yard space behind the single line of elite men. And then I was about four people back in our big old group. Um, And so I was about 10 yards from the starting line. Um, uh, and really I could cool. see the backs of the pro men in front of me, um, which was cool. And they fired the gun and we all started at the same time. And I had a few sort of weird steps, it took me about nine seconds to get across the starting line. Um, and, uh, but after the first mile, I was, I was in a lot of traffic. There's a lot of people there, but I was not having to chop my stride or, or change my line or anything else like that. Um, it was a big crowd, but, but yeah. I, I was able to find space to run. So, Yeah. And-
0: was the plan on race day just to go out and just lock into a pace and try to hold on was that i mean that's yeah what you
1: did. yeah <laughs> i mean i was joking with with somebody earlier today that that i'm too old to go out too fast sure like like i i i don't have enough speed to go out too fast um but i knew Um, that obviously that going out too fast in a marathon is a big deal and that people do tend to specifically go out too fast in London because there's some pretty decent downhill in the first five K. Um, and so, so yeah, the goal was to kind of lock into an effort, um, and just hold back, hold back, hold back for, and stay relaxed for as long as I possibly could. Um, I went through that first mile in 5:57, Um, and it was almost immediately. I was like, I'm gonna have a good day because i had, it was easy it was exactly what the effort was supposed to be it was what a first mile of a marathon is supposed to feel like and it was a five you knew it mile one mm-hmm. yeah
0: that um, is a really yeah. long time to know it's going to be a good day
1: well it's funny like- so i saw my my I, I got to see my family three times and you were a big part of helping them figure out places to see me michelle which i appreciate but um i knew that i was going to see them for the first time at about eight miles and by about three or four miles, I was starting to look forward to seeing them because I was excited to be like, I'm having a good day. Like I was excited to tell them that. Yeah. Um, and then I did get to see them at eight miles and I went and ran over and I high-fived and my wife got some pretty hilarious pictures, one of which you posted on the the, the podcast Facebook page. Um, and uh, and uh, I actually yelled, Daddy's having a good day or something like that. And they didn't even understand me anyway. Um, but, um, <laughs> I have down. to say that, that picture is hilarious because those who
2: have not seen it you had to run like 15 yards yeah. off the you know the the short line path because right. you can see where all the rest of the runners are right you ran through a gate of your the fellas right one right. was on either one side right of side. you yep. yep. Simultaneously, you gave them the high both fives. high fives yep, yep. and then you got yourself back on course looking over your shoulder as you're Driving back into the crowd, and I just thought that is just a recipe for disaster. Like
0: he, he makes like an obtuse angle with the yeah. pavement. I don't know. Maybe it's not obtuse. It's been a long time, but so, he's like
1: no. I agree. Uh, yeah, There's, that 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 second picture when I'm when I after I've given them high fives and they're like literally jumping up and down in the background, and I'm trying to twist back towards the course, wearing shoes, mind you, wearing plated race shoes, which we all know don't turn very well. No. Yeah. It, it was, it was, uh, it was more precarious than I think, I think I realized, but it also speaks to like where I was mentally at that point. I was fired oh, yeah. up because I, cause I knew I was on a good day. Um, and so, so yeah, I just continued to kind of hold back, relax, hold back, hold back, don't tense up, relax, relax, you know, telling myself to, to, to relax, to chill, to don't be tense, um, for, for. A long time i spent a lot of the race telling myself relax relax just be calm be calm just keep 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 plugging away yeah just
0: so anything eventful happened through the first half like i mean what happened when you went through that 13.1 mile mark
1: well the the you you go over the tower bridge before you even go through halfway and was that so, cool? so that was super cool
0: yeah. yeah
1: i mean the thing about these rate, i mean the big city marathons live up to the hype man i mean th- it was such a cool race and and the crowds it was it was like the, it was comparable to the chicago marathon in terms of the crowds that there was literally barely cool. a spot where there was not a big crowd cheering
0: it's interesting to hear you say that because the women only really get featured when it's only the women and there was almost nobody out on the streets really. with the elite women's start mm-hmm. i mean it was a solid they really didn't have a crowd fanfare till after halfway it seemed yeah. like
1: yeah yeah but i mean because, yeah they they started they started 40 minutes earlier yeah yeah um, by, the, by the time we started, the crowds had come out um, and and it was just jammed. And we would take this turn down this little minor nothing street and there would be people six deep. Um, awesome. I was kind of blown away by that. But then, yeah, the Tower Bridge, we literally took a right turn in this little kind of small villagey looking area. And you take this right turn and the Tower Bridge just unfolds in front of you. And I, and I actually turned the corner. I went, ha, 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 yes, um, because it was just such a cool thing, you know, And and all the other people around me, I guess they were just kind of, you know. British people keeping calm and carrying on like none of them were 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 as into it as I was and then we start running and I caught up with this Japanese guy on the tower bridge who was literally like galloping across and was like so excited and stuff I was like ah that's my boy right there Um, uh, but the people out there were, were were cheering and there were streamers and balloons and craziness and vuvuzelas and just all sorts of stuff it was great um, it was super fun running across that, and then you kind of come yeah, off that, of that, um, and then you had cost you point.
2: a second that mile and great yeah. consternation to Michelle. <laughs> so I just, just
1: put that into sorry, for yourself, sorry.
0: <laughs> Um, So I actually don't know this, but did you negative split? I mean, what, no,
1: like, not What quite. was the
0: half split? No, so my quite.
1: halfway split was one seventeen forty uh, was one seventeen thirty nine, and my okay. my second half split was one eighteen oh two. Um, so, so there was about, a, about a, about a 20, 20 second seconds. spread there.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Which is
1: pretty good. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. It's pretty darn good. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay. So I know you missed Casey and the boys at mile 11, but then you mm-hmm. saw them again at like mile 18, 18.
1: Yeah. But, was, so, so here's, what's funny. I was running through the crowd. No, that was not
0: funny. The, actually, that was not fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was yeah. running through the crowd at mile 18 and the crowd was out there. And for whatever reason, they had kind of gotten quiet for a second. And so, so I'm running through this big crowd that's sort of quiet. And I, I, I start waving my hands, trying to try and be like, come on, come on, let's hear you, you know, that kind of thing, um, as I tend to do a lot of times in races. And they started cheering. The crowd started cheering. And then almost as soon as I do that, I look up and there's my wife. Like, I didn't yeah. expect her to be there. And she's. I was like, hey! <laughs> and like well, kind of high five her and sort of wave as I go on by. And she gets a picture of me like, like literally passing as I go on by. And then... Um, make it into the finale of the marathon, um, onto the, you know, through the tunnel and onto the embankment in the last, um, last couple of miles basically. And at that point, I'm kind of, you know, pouring it on and really trying to to catch people and really trying to finish strongly. And I make the second to last turn of the race, right about the 25 mile mark in front of big Ben. And Casey is on that turn on the fence with both felt. I don't know how she did that. The crowds there were literally like 15 deep. And somehow she found a spot on the fence in front of Big Ben and and gave me a high five. Um, and and I ran the last yeah. two kilometers. Kudos the to her.
0: Finish. She yeah. I didn't know. I mean, she was she did that all uh, yeah. herself. I was
1: super impressed. <laughs> it wasn't like
0: one. a calculation of well, I only have it's going to take well, well you minutes. you were Do texting with time? her telling
1: her how long she had to get to various places right
0: Oh, well, so once she missed you know i felt bad because she sent this picture from in the subway it, she's like look there's even signs when you get off you can go this way to mile 10 and this way to mile 11 and mm. she took a picture and she sent it and then she just missed you
1: yeah she just so missed a mile little, 11 yeah little
0: guilty but then it was like well you know she, she needed to get to mile 18. Mm-hmm. She had 22 minutes, but you're running like six minute pace. And I'm like, well, that's more than five miles. That's more than 30 minutes. But then I thought she was just going to go to like the meeting spot. So it was really cool. when she was like, I'm mile 25.
1: Yeah, it was cool. It um, was neat. It was a great surprise. And and Kate, it, it was it was cool, too. So so while we're, we're praising my wife here, she had told me the night before, um, because I, I, I very much had taper crazies for this one. I think I told you all that. Like I, I I I've had I've tapered for so many races in my career. Sometimes you know the taper feels good and you you're feeling confident and everything else. And sometimes you're just really worried and you feel you have that that taper paranoia. I had a lot of taper paranoia this time. Uh, yeah. I don't know why. And so the night before, she said, you know, you're you're getting to run a big city marathon again. You love doing these races. You know, suck it in, enjoy the experience, enjoy yourself, relax um um and and just just be be happy to be there um and i and i made a point to do that um and even in literally the 25th mile we're running down the embankment and i kind of look up and i see the london eye and i see the london bridge and i see big ben in parliament um and i was like this is this is pretty cool yeah (laughs) this is this is a really unique and and awesome experience that i'm having here Um, and so, so yeah, her helping me to, to remember that I think not only made the race more enjoyable, but it also helped get me in the sort of mindset where I could just relax and execute my, my, my race plan where I could capitalize on my fitness. And that was important.
0: So. I feel like a lot of people feel really good at mile one, but it doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah. Was there like a point where like, I get you feel good the whole time, but was there a point where you were like, Oh, I'm really going to PR. Like, I'm really like, this is like, I've really got this and I'm going to keep this through 26.2.
1: Yeah. Like, it was did early. you lock
0: into that at some point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was early. Yeah. Um. I felt, I felt relaxed from, from, I, I felt relaxed until and this is gonna sound dumb. I felt relaxed until I didn't, um, and but but by the time that I didn't, it was time to start pushing for the. It was time to hurt rest. anyway. Yeah, it was it was. We were into the finale at that point. Yeah, I well, thought about y'all gotta... tracking me. I thought about like because I was going through and I was looking at my ten k splits and my ten k splits were like right about thirty seven minutes on average, and I was trying to keep them at thirty seven minutes on average. And I was like, all right. I got to like 38 kilometers. I was like, Michelle's gonna be looking at this 10K split. I got to keep this 10K split where it is. Like she's gonna freak out if this, it, you know. And so, 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 I mean, I, I, I very much draw on, on all of that stuff as I'm running. Um, but, but yeah, by the time that it really started to hurt, it was already time for me to start digging and pushing towards the finish anyway. Um, and and I ended up speeding up. I ran the last, <clears throat> ran the last two miles at about 5:40 pace. Um, and probably passed 20 people in those last two miles, um, including some people that were in my age group and some people that were in my championship, uh, division. So, yeah, I was, I was pretty proud with how I, how I ran the race overall, particularly those last couple of miles.
2: So I've got a question. I don't, I never looked at the profile for the race, but I did look at your Strava mm-hmm. and it makes mile 19 look like
1: yeah, it weird. pure hell. yeah that's not accurate so there was there was there was some weird data in there now i will say one of the surprises for me on the course there was a slight there was slightly more up and down than i thought there was going to be like there's a few places where we went over bridges um and and i wasn't expecting those ups and downs um and then there was also there was a lot more twists and turns than i was expecting like knowing that kipchoge's run 202 there um And knowing that, like, the world record had been run there by Paula Radcliffe back in the day, like, I I thought that it was going to be a lot more straightaways. um, And it wasn't. It was much more twisting than I expected it to be. A lot more small roads, a lot more turns. I just wasn't expecting that at all. Um, So that was a big surprise. Um, And then there was a few places where we went through tunnels. We went through three different tunnels that I counted. Um, And so I think that kind of messed with my watch a little bit, too. Um, But, yeah. In the in the the back half of the race, I got some weird data for my watch. It told me okay. that mile 19 was like seven minutes long, and it had this like monstrous like 200 foot climb in it or something. that, that <laughs> was 220
2: something yeah, feet. Yeah, that, that
1: wasn't there. That wasn't there. And then I was just also, trying to figure out where that was. In, after in after mile London. 22, it dropped. My heart rate dropped off, um, and I supposedly averaged 120 heart rate for the last four miles, and that's obviously not accurate either um and so so, so yeah, we've I had some weird data there in the in, in the, in the so Morris, we've determined was, another crap gps watch <laughs> vendor so <laughs> we've got two now so, so, so no no i still like my watch i still like my watch <laughs> um, but but yeah i think i think london like chicago like new york like a lot of these other big city marathons it's hard for the gps's to really perform amidst all the buildings and and, and everything and all the time you should get a stride shoe know, pod so. so probably
2: get nope. better data off of that nope Nope. (laughs) Nope. I speak for all of our Blue Ridge Relay team that we were so excited. And like you said, we were, we were tracking you. Uh, I went out on a run and I I simulated your pace for about a quarter of a mile downhill (laughs) because I figured that was about all I could stand Um, all in an effort to just, uh, you know, I don't know to memorialize the the wonderful the amazing run that you put down. I mean, Thanks, I changed your contact in my phone to F period O period N <laughs> as freak of nature and it's 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 going to stay like that for a while. Right. Uh, but I think I speak for all of us. We were really impressed and we enjoyed
1: your success in that. So Thanks buddy. Well that done. means a lot. To me. It really does. It really does. That means a lot. That means a lot. Yeah. Um I mentioned that Kennedy Zabekele was fifth in the race. Um, uh, he
0: wasn't Amos,
1: happy about that. He wasn't. He said he had some injuries in his buildup, um, and and he felt like that compromised it. He led through halfway. Um, he was still only about seven seconds back. It it passed the thirty k point, um, but just couldn't quite hang on. Um, ultimately, the race was won by the guy who probably should have won the race, uh, Amos Capruto. Um, he uh, he ran 20439 he ran a 421 25th mile
0: um, I was gonna say nobody I mean once he dropped that 25th mile there was yeah. it was over
1: yeah that's incredible that's there was amazing.
0: there was a whole pack at 35k I mean both mm-hmm. of the races were they weren't yeah. majorly strung out it was pretty good
1: yeah yeah uh, the women's race was won by Zerf Yahuwah law um, uh, 23 years old just barely 23 by the way she just turned 23 in August. Um, she was born in 1999, <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> That's, that was, I heard I graduated college, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but she ran two 26. Um, she has now run two marathons. She has run two seventeen for both of them um she won hamburg she's won both of them she won hamburg uh, back in march uh ran about three seconds faster than she ran today and the fastest ever debut um and then she uh, she of course has now won london became the youngest winner ever of the london marathon um and beat a tough field jocelyn dipkoske was second in two eighteen oh seven. top four all broke two, 2019 two more broke 2020 um and so yeah she was super impressive and like i said she actually um it was cool. We were in the security line at the airport the next day, uh, getting ready to fly home, and we look up and she's literally in the security line behind us. Um, and so my wife and I, Casey and I, start talking to her, and we're like, "Congratulations, that was great." And I take a selfie with her, um, and and it was cool because she has this a handler with her. She has a man with her who is who is like you know helping make sure she gets to all the right places and all that sort of thing, and. Uh, and my sons, being eight years old, they're like, why are you talking to strangers? Um, yeah. and, uh, and the guy that was with her, the handler with her goes, she's not a stranger anymore, which I thought was that's awesome. Cool. I thought it was a pretty badass thing to say. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah. Um, very cool. Very cool. Um, Elliot Kipchoge actually came to the award ceremony for the World Marathon Major Age Group Championship, and I skipped the award ceremony. Oh. So, yeah, I could have uh could have hung out and spent time with the uh world record holder who lowered his own world record to 20109 at Berlin. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure after that event, he still would have been a stranger. <laughs> you don't think he and I would have been like like have our own text thread now? No. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. You don't Sorry. think I could have convinced him to come on to the uh, most pleasant exhaustion podcast?
2: michelle could have but not you
1: yeah that's probably true that's probably i don't
0: need true. to be part of a blue ridge relay text thread but if there's a chogi text thread i bet <laughs> <invited. laughs>
1: for sure for sure yeah um i thought it was interesting so so elliot kipchoge a week before at berlin runs two oh one oh nine went through halfway in fifty nine fifty one. um so clearly was going after it clearly was trying to to break two hours in a a Straight up, straightforward marathon. Um, and so, so was not quite able to hang on. I thought it was kind of fun. Y'all saw that there was a guy named um, uh, Adam Lack, I think it is, Balehu, um, a guy from Ethiopia that was with him at the halfway point. I couldn't help but be reminded of Into of of Thin Air that we read where they talked about how they just try and hang on for as long as yeah. they possibly as can. It's always can. the strategy, you know? And so he ends up, uh, that guy Balehu ends up running you know less than a minute faster or less than a minute slower than his his halfway pr his half marathon pr in order to stay with him and ends up fourth in uh, in 206 um yeah it's funny on let's run.com they suggested that all right this is probably the fastest that elliot kachui is ever going to go um
0: why do people keep saying that yeah i don't know
2: yeah because they want to be right and it's yeah. easier to say something like that especially True. in a format like the twitter where everyone forgets what you said tomorrow
1: yeah yeah
2: but if you're right you can go back and say i said that i told i told you it's
1: definitely the safer bet right um yeah i mean the guy's 38 years old and 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 their reasoning was that that if he was ever going to do it it was going to be this time because the weather was perfect the pacing was right and he just couldn't quite hold on to it all right um that may or may not be true but but uh we'll see I, I, i wouldn't put anything past him of course um they just released the new paris marathon course did y'all see that for the olympics
0: okay i'm not like this big city marathon person but if i'm like i actually want to go there
1: it's if they really
0: <laughs> if they open that course to common people because it isn't is that the
1: spectacular room? like um,
0: unbelievable
1: it is it is amazing yeah for folks who didn't see it it starts in downtown Paris. It runs along the Champs-Élysées, along the river, and then it basically runs out to the Palace at Versailles and then back. Um, and it finishes back along the Champs-Élysées again and back along the Seine River. And yeah, it's just a gorgeous, spectacular course. Um, that will be Kipchoge crowning himself as the three-time Olympic marathon champion, <laughs> um, you know, which is, which is worthy of that sort of accomplishment. But um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then also in Berlin, you saw that, uh, Kira D'Amato ended up six running 221. Um, the winner was, uh, Tijit Afsefa, um, ran the third fastest women's time of all time, ran two fifteen
0: thirty seven. Smells um, fishy. <laughs> so
1: yeah, she ran, uh, the back half of that. Um, the, the whole group went out in 68 minutes. Um, and went out in 6813 and then she came back in 6724 and her previous half marathon personal best was 6728 um, so yeah it's kind of yeah. weird um, she was a former 800 meter runner she was an Olympian in 2016 Olympics in the 800 meters um, she's never really run a 1500 never really run a 5,000 meters or 10,000 meters on the track um, yeah I think
0: When a woman goes out and runs a 215, you like to see some form of a a nice progression. Yeah.
1: Uh, We've talked about that before. She's, She has run one marathon before back in March. She ran 234. 234.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She ran
1: 234 back in March. So it actually makes me feel pretty good. If she ran a 234 in March and I ran a 235 here in October, does that mean I can run a 215 six months
0: from now, you think? I don't think so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Michelle tweeted that she thinks
2: this is. the fastest you'll ever run. Um, cause the weather was perfect. <laughs> um, your buildup was great.
1: <laughs> so that's actually
0: good. I just, you're not I getting any be, younger, but yeah.
1: Yeah. It um, all right. Last thing I'll say, Michelle, uh, before we got to wrap up, cause I know we got to wrap up here pretty soon is to give you credit for Kona day one, among yeah, the was... many, m- among the many people that you chose as potential winners, you actually chose Chelsea Sodaro Uh, as a potential winner. Um, and she won the race with a scorching fast run.
0: Before Chelsea went to triathlon, I mean she tore up the road racing circuit, the USATF. I mean, she's got a few national titles. Maybe I think she's got a 10k uh US championship and maybe another sort of more odd of a distance or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, she moved over to triathlon. She had done, you know, had a pretty good like uh 70.3 history the last few years she had a baby um and she has an
1: an 18 month old baby now yeah yeah.
0: and she kept up you know she's she came back and she I mean she's maintained a social you know a presence on social so I've followed all of this and she uh she ran her first full Ironman ran whatever she swam bike ran uh (laughs) people
1: say people say they ran an Ironman yeah
0: runners talking like runners over here um so uh in Hamburg and she just killed it. I mean, Mm -hmm. she, it was, it was spectacular. So, and in my mind, she's only gained fitness since then. And she's also like just more chill about the training. She just, you know, she has a toddler. So she does what she does when she can, you know, when she can get it done. And she doesn't obsess over the rest. At least this is what it seems like. Mm -hmm. I just felt like she was super fit going in and I knew she could handle the heat, um, which was my concern about Sarah true. Uh, but yeah, Sarah I wanted one of them to like, I wanted either Sarah or Chelsea just to kind of knock it out of the park. Um, but for Chelsea to win, that was, that was really spectacular. So,
1: yeah, she, uh, she took the lead right uh, as they turn onto the queen K highway, right around mile 11. Um, you crest Polani Hill, which I was telling Adam Heiser, the founder of ITO coaching performance, who's doing day two, he's doing the men's race tomorrow. Um, that, uh, Pawlone Hill is a legit Hill. Um, but right about that point, she uh, she ended up taking the lead from uh, Lucy Charles Barkley, who had led most of the race up to that point um, and uh, and never really looked back and ended up winning by about seven or eight minutes. Only her second Ironman, like you said, first time in Kona, obviously, uh, she ends up running the second fastest women's time ever in Kona, uh, 833.46. First American Ironman World Championship for women since Paula Newby Frazier represented the United States in 1996. And she was the first American-born woman to win since Karen Smyers won in 1995, before the winner of the London Marathon was even born.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, a quarter of a century drought for an American woman to win Kona. Uh, It was pretty good. I think the temps were, I think they were saying on the broadcast, it was like 81, 82, and usually it's like 88, 89. So um, she might've gotten a little bit, uh, lucky with the weather but I will say I think she spent more at every single rest stop at every rest stop I'm on, like on a road trip here she spent so much time at aid stations she took four cups she put the ice in, like she came to complete stops and it really paid off yeah. I mean uh she ran it like she she did not look like a Kona rookie out there I'll say right. that <laughs> yeah
1: but agreed Agreed. Very good for her, and props to you, Michelle, Adam for luck, right? <laughs> so so. Michelle, dare we ask who you think uh, might win the men's race since you since you nailed the women's race, or do you not want to uh, to, to well, threaten your record?
0: Definitely, Adam Heiser could win. the
1: <laughs> Right, on. I'm
0: rooting for you, Adam. Big, big, big fan over here.
1: <laughs> Adam, bib number one thousand even that's pretty 1, cool 000. that is pretty cool actually and adam true to who he is volunteered in the women's race yesterday which i think is cool yeah um, so so he volunteered in, in 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 the women's race and there were some men's age groups in the women's race as well so he volunteered on the day one race we'll call it that yesterday um and then he will be competing in the race tomorrow so very cool um, very cool good luck to him. yeah
0: i'm not sure i'm not sure about the men kind of as it is with me i'm a little behind typically on the men stuff, but Justin Dugan probably has a good podium picked out. So I'll probably just agree with him. He's pretty good at this. <laughs> good call.
1: Good call. I agree. I agree. Speaking of Justin Dugan and the Justins, uh, good luck to Justin Smith, who is going to be running the Chicago Marathon Chicago. this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so a few different people we know. Good luck to uh Allison Mercer, friend of the podcast, who's gonna be running the Chicago Marathon this weekend. Um, and so yeah. looking forward to seeing how she does as well. I was uh trading some messages with her immediately prior to our starting our recording. Um, and so so yeah, good luck to all those folks that are that are out there doing Chicago. Um, don't you have somebody running Chicago as well? Don't you know somebody running Chicago as well, Eric? That is correct. A new employee
2: working with, uh, Lee and I, Tim Gubitz, he and his family, uh, left on Thursday and, um, yeah, we're uh, thinking about him and wishing the best of luck. Hayes in the barn.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Michelle, thanks for being with us.
0: Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast to talk about yourself again, George. We know this is so hard for you.
1: (laughs) So it was, it was a good race. It was a good trip. I I definitely recommend London marathon for anybody who is considering it. Um, Eric, thanks for being here, man. Always fun. Uh, Thanks for the download. George. All right, buddy. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, most Pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITO Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, Bluepineappletravel.com, Facebook.com/slash Blue Pineapple and on Instagram, Blue Pineapple Travel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRX. That's SlayRX.com, Facebook.com/slash Here4SlayRX. That's the number four SlayRX. Twitter at officialslayrx, and Instagram. Here for Slay RX, the number four Slay RX. Discount code Pleasant22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.